I just state my question. State your question. My question is grief, dealing with it. I just invite us all to feel into our hearts with that question. So simple and so pure. So some of the things I was just touching on at the end of the last talk, um, to really call on, call on our friends, call on the mountain, call on Avalokiteshvara, call on your dog or your cat. When we're feeling desperate, when it just, when that wave is so intense, we, we have the right and as a practitioner, we could say the exhortation to reach out. And I know it's hard. Um, my friends who, who are in 12-step groups, they talk about the 10,000-pound telephone. Like you really need to call someone and it's as if the phone weighs 10,000 pounds. Um, I just find that such an evocative phrase. And yet, um, we need, you know, we need help from our friends. So whatever we can do to take in support and nourishment and have compassion for what feels like too much, um, Sometimes it just feels like a full-time job or two or three full-time jobs just to keep breathing and showing up for this intensity. And if that's true, give yourself permission to let go of what you need to let go of while you're going through it. Um, and also that factor of of diligence to, to keep doing whatever you can, whatever little bit you're able to do just to keep going. Sometimes it's just one step. I mean, even one physical step, if it's just so hard, then one step at a time, one breath. Make it small and as much as possible let go of our expectations and what we're used to producing or giving or doing and just say you know this is my job right now and when I take care of this intensity that's in me as we've just been talking about, I do it for everyone. I do that for the grief that's in everyone, stronger or less strong, or the, the other intensity, the anger or the fear. I hold this pain 
for everyone who's trying to do the same, and we are. Um, I have here Ty's book, Creating True Peace. And it's so interesting, this question came because one passage that really touched me, <clears throat> Ty said, after coming to the West in 1966 to call for a cessation to the war in Vietnam, I was not allowed by my government to go home. Suddenly I was cut off from all my friends, my students, my sangha in Vietnam. Almost every night I dreamed of going home. I would wake up in the middle of the dream and realize that I was in exile. During that time, I practiced mindfulness diligently. I practiced to be in touch with children and adults in Europe and America. I learned to contemplate the trees and the singing of the birds. Everything seemed different from what we knew in Vietnam. And yet the wonders of life were available to me in these new lands too. I came to the realization that with the practice of mindfulness, my true home can be found everywhere on this planet. I think we could add any point in time. Um, and I, I may have shared this once before, I'm not sure, but an old friend of mine was in Plum Village and uh, right after being in Plum Village, his father suddenly died and he went back home. He had been living on the coast. He went back home in the Midwest to stay with his mother. And uh, the, the relationships had been very complicated and intense, uh, you know, the two, his mother to his father and both of them to him. He just went back to be with his mother and all of her, it was a very sudden unexpected death. All of her pain and uh, his own pain. And he, um, he, he did his own practice in the airports on his way home. He was chanting Avalokiteshvara, I think the Vietnamese version of it actually. And then when he was home, he stayed for one year to help his mother emotionally and also with all the logistics and the things that you have to take care of. And every day he persuaded her to come outside with him for a walk in the morning. And at some point in the walk each morning, this friend would say to his mother, you know, sincerely, he would say, it's a beautiful day. And she didn't answer. She just, she walked with him, but she didn't say anything. And then one day, after a year, they were out on their walk. And he said, you know, it's a beautiful day. And she said, you're right. It is a beautiful day. 
So sometimes it's just about hanging in there. And as I said, asking for help. And I, I send you my heart and wish you continued courage, brother. My question has to do with loneliness. I spend most of my time online sangas and um, been blessed, but I have very few friends in the pandemic. And so this is my question is how can I not be so lonely and how can I ex take my practice out mm. for others? Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Pam, I'm guessing you might have experimented with a few things around this already. Is that true? Would you feel comfortable sharing what you've been experimenting with around this? Well, actually, up until the pandemic, I had a lot of friends and social actions, you know, show activities. Mm. Um, but I've kind of like let that all go. So I have I have the network there. It's just not been used for two or three years. Mm. And um, I've attempted to reconnect, but there's just something about being around people and not wanting to re-engage that kind of stops me. Oh. And then I'm I'm also an, an introvert where I like being alone. Yeah. But then I think I'm too alone, mm -hmm. you know, to come to the point where you just and then I have issues with family, close family members that were been separated. So then suddenly I find it's just me and the dogs. And it's like, well, how did I get here? Mm. So um takes a lot of effort for me to reach out and try to connect with uh, mm -hmm. with my old friends and they're busy they've kind of moved on and I'm 68 and I'm retired and I just like kind of like well how do you make new friends mm. and you know I have I go to a lot of different sanghas internationally and I'm always signed up for retreats and everybody's friendly and great but that only goes so far. Is that like we can go out and have a cup of coffee or walk together or, you know, um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Do you know that you're speaking for many, many, many people? Do you know that? I do know that loneliness is. <laughs> well, and this specific thing of having, you know, kind of gotten rusty, you know, I mean, like, those, we, we just took it for granted in a way, right? We just had that very natural momentum and, uh, you know, 
we were, we just naturally did those things, you know, did things with people and it didn't seem to take that much effort. And then to kind of crank it back up, right. It's like, Oh, you know, the, the gears have gotten rusty and it, it, it feels like a real effort. As you say, there's so many people that I hear this from. And And yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. And the other thing is too, is I am so been blessed by Ty's teaching uh, really in this past six, seven months, when I went to the continuation memorial service, he just like spoke to me and, and uh, that's when I started following the tradition and the path and I just feel like it's just so important but most of my friends is don't understand or they don't want to hear it or I can't really you know express that part of me to them so that's the other factor it's like I know that not everybody's going to want to follow tie and become I come along on my journey with me and that's fine but mm-hmm. it's also trying to find that group of people a small, even yes. a small group of people who can be on my journey in, in, you know, so. Where are you located, Pam? I'm in Washington state in yeah. Wenatchee. How far is that from Spokane? Just so I have a concept. That's my daughter lives in Spokane. It's two and a half hours. Okay. All right. And uh, when I found open way, uh, Sangha, I used to, I'm kind of have roots in Montana years, years ago. I thought I could move to Missoula, but it's not easy to move. It's not easy yeah. to sell your house and relocate. <laughs> so I yeah. haven't done it yet anyway. Well, it is an amazing song. I can completely understand yeah. the temptation. <laughs> um, where is, have you looked at, um, you know, where the nearest Plum Village Sangha to you is geographically? There is one in uh, Seattle. But Seattle, what about Eastern Washington? No, not in Eastern. I didn't find anything in Spokane either. Okay, all right. Um, and I'm kind of a, a country lady, and I can't. I drive into Seattle just as like. Oh no, no, that's <laughs> major. Bad, you know. Yeah. 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 Okay, so um, I mean, one thing that occurs to me is a couple things actually. So one is. Um, You know, I myself have had some cross-pollination with the insight meditation tradition. So even though that's on paper, you know, a different lineage of Buddhism, but here in America, you could say we're, we are all in the process of creating what Buddhist practice is in, in the American flavor, you know, like each country has its own flavor and we're right, right at the beginning, which is very exciting. And so um, you might consider visiting one or two if there's an insight meditation sangha. Um, I actually know an extraordinary insight meditation teacher in Spokane. I um, mean, you're welcome to email me. I'd be happy to share with you about her okay, and her website. I'll do that. She's a dear friend. Um, and secondly, um, it's an amazing thing that you know, like I was just saying a bit earlier, we think that we're the only person in our block or our neighborhood who likes this stuff, but there's probably are others around that we just don't even know about. Yeah. And um, 
if you can, you know, you might start by just putting a little note like at the grocery store bulletin board, if those things still exist, or, you know, on, a, on an online bulletin board or something that just says <clears throat> that you'd like to have, um, you know, a, a Zen Buddhist uh, book group or a meditation book group, something easy and, you know, relatable for people. And you might be very surprised who comes around and sometimes it takes a little time might be just one person but one person who is super excited to see that from you like they've been thinking that they're the only one and you've just like made a big change in their life just by daring to put out a little note Um, and then the third thing is I think you can take it as as a practice like sort of as a yoga with those rusty gears to say, okay, kind of like what I was talking about yesterday, but even in a more micro way, like, mm, what's, first of all, what, if I could have some degree of reconnection with just one of the friends I used to see regularly, like which one would I most like that to be with? And then maybe, you know, one other friend. And then just, try sending one, you know, one message to say, um, you know, there's this new coffee shop or, um, you know, there's this really beautiful, um, you know, Halloween thing happening or that do you want to go to the haunted house or whatever it is, like just something keep like very small, you know, baby steps. And then as I say, as a yoga, so what we've been practicing, like notice your thoughts, Notice the feelings that you have and, and what happens in your body as you do it. If you're a journaler, you know, you can journal or maybe you like to paint or something to give expression to these things. And that in itself, like, even if that particular outreach in the end, like it doesn't happen to produce like a, a, re, a renewed friendship, but your practice has deepened already by you doing it. And then if you do it with a couple more people, just you're likely to, um, I think, re, re-sprout something. Um, so kind of letting go a bit of the outcome and saying, okay, I'm just going to do this as a practice to, to, to learn more about myself. Okay. With a lot of kindness and a lot of compassion and a lot of patience. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's a wonderful idea. Okay. I'll do that. Thank you so much, Barbara. Thanks Hand for the announcement. Bryn bowing in. Thank you, Barbara. Um, thank you, Pam, too, for that question. I have something kind of similar. Um, I have work that's pretty demanding energetically. And so when I leave, I have really been practicing what you've been talking about, um, resting, and playing and joy, but I also find that I need 
I, I, I end up spending a lot of my time when I'm not working, like just in quiet, um, not talking to many people kind of, and, and realizing more and more that as much as I kind of put out an extroverted vibe, like I, I'm actually pretty introverted as a person. Um, but I find myself trying to strike this balance between what's like replenishing and then what's just like isolation. I can find myself turning down things that would probably be beneficial to me socially um, because I think I need quiet time or I'm taking my day of mindfulness every day this week, you know, (laughs) like, um, so what is the balance between like finding the balance between um, replenishing and isolation and mm-hmm. also just like the idea of rest and like I can take re- I could take anything to an extreme so just like I don't know sometimes I I take practices and I like twist them and and like just kind of mm-hmm. hide out I feel like um and you're aware yeah of I it. I feel like I already kind of know what you're going to say about this, but I just, I guess I just wanted it affirmed. Thank you. What are you, what are you guessing is going to come? Well, I think a huge part of it for me is like, I have to first accept where I'm at, which is like a huge part of why I struggle with these types of things is I don't just accept the truth of where I'm at and, and embrace that. But I like put some kind of judgment on it. So I think that that's always like the first step, but yeah. yeah can you get like um, curious about your hiding out like in a friendly way, you know, or for example, like if you say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say yes to this thing instead of no. And just like notice what the hiding out one starts to say about that. Right. I yeah. think it's, it's, and yeah, I could spend some more time with that practice, but just, and I will. Um, but I just think as like a base level, it, there's just like a, a discomfort. Like, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want people to know me. Um, I don't want to know other people sometimes. <laughs> I just have so much love for this. Yeah. I mean, I just Um, honest, very honest. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's the base. And then I, I also just struggle with mental health stuff too. So I can really hide out in mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what I hear and I want to reflect back to you, Bryn is, is a lot of awareness already. And, and yeah, a little bit of judgment and also an acceptance of the judgment, which is where we start, <laughs> right? We, we start with, you know, okay, that's the judgment arrow. I can just not judge my judging. <laughs> um, and to sense that this, this awareness that is here, this mindfulness that you do have around it, is a manifestation of your heart's capacity to wake up. This is how we wake up little bit by little bit when we glimpse, oh, I'm hiding out, oh, and I'm judging my hiding out. 
can I kind of breathe and say hello to everybody here? And it's okay. It's okay. You know? Um, and then a bit like we were just saying with Pam, you know, um, there's a bit of similarity. Actually, I want to bring in one, one other written question. Um, this one is asking how or whether to separate out the energy exerted in personal obligation, parenting, friend and family issues work from the energy exerted in collective, more global responsibility. What's the balance or relationship between these two categories in terms of how we stay engaged, especially in terms of practice? So what for me these have in common is, um, you know, Ty talked about the practice as an art. And these questions I feel are questions of art more than of kind of science or an equation like, you know, two times A plus three times C is the right number. So in other words, it's all an experiment. And I might even look to Gina here, an artist, a painter, and she's got her canvas and she's deciding, you know, okay, how much green and how much red and where. And we experiment and we stay present and we notice, okay, when I, you know, when I go, it, basically we, we, it's, we could call it trial and error <laughs> or really there is no error. There's just kind of data from our experiment. So, okay, this time I'm going to say no every day this week and see how I feel on Saturday. Next week, I'll say yes to everything and see how I feel. And then the following week, I'll say yes to three things and no to four things. You know, we can be playful because remembering that we're basically okay right now and whichever ways we go on this, we're okay, you know, and we can learn. <clears throat> or like Babe Ruth, I think it was Babe Ruth that said, every strike brings me closer to a home run. I'm wondering, how do we know when enough is enough? Um, how do we know when it's time to rest versus keep engaging in work or practice? Um, and specifically, this idea around resting in process, I guess, um, versus I think I have the tendency of waiting until something is done because I know once it's done or fulfilled, mm -hmm. then I can rest and I can rest deeply. Um, mm. But resting when something is undone feels mm -hmm. rather difficult. Is it because there's a fear that um, we might not get it done? I think that, that might be part of it, a fear that it doesn't get done. I think another part of it is a fear or a knowing that I'm not going to be able to let it go 
So the resting is kind of futile because <laughs> it's like I'm resting, but I'm really thinking about what I think I should be doing, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's some awareness, right? Oh, I know I have this really strong habit, so it's going to prevent me from resting. I might as well just keep going and keep doing it. Um, you know, I would encourage to practice. Well, let me ask you one more thing, if it's okay. How was it for you yesterday when we did the practice of just really opening to um, picturing ourselves in the situation that brings that up, brings up the rawness? I think yesterday we did it around overwhelm, but um, this could be around, uh, you know, resting in the middle of something and actually inviting that into your meditation and seeing yourself in that situation. Maybe you picture yourself when you're lying on the bed and the project isn't done and you see yourself like tossing and turning and you just start to invite, okay, what are the thoughts here? What are the beliefs? What's the emotion? What, and, what's it, and what comes up in the body when you invite it? Um, how was that practice for you yesterday? Well, yesterday, I guess in that practice, I can't remember what I was reflecting on. I wasn't reflecting on, on that piece. Yeah. Um, but how did it feel to, to relate with yourself that way? I guess it felt nice knowing that that was what I was supposed to be doing in the moment. <laughs> like not um, thinking, oh, should I be doing this? Is this the right time to do this? But having that strict container of, yep, I'm doing this right now. I guess that, that full committal to, the, to showing up for it really, really helped a lot. Okay, great. Well done. And do that a lot more. <laughs> do that practice. Um, yeah, do that practice. That is our practice, just to keep showing up for what's right here, with these emotions, for these sensations, for these thoughts. And usually, that makes enough space that we can sense where we want to take this experiment we call our practice for the next step. Um, it's a bit like, you know, we can think of it as um, our life as being this kind of pond. I've used this metaphor and there's different objects in, the, in our pond. There's uh, you know, uh, things that we want and need, like there's food maybe, and um, maybe the keys to our car that we lost yesterday, and maybe our glasses. And then there's also other things in there that might be sharp, like a, a bottle that broke. And when that, that sort of churn of like, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? What's going to happen? What if I mess up? You know, it turns up the pond. And when we try to find the thing that we need or take any action, you know, there's a chance that we'll grab the bottle, the broken bottle instead of the glasses. And then when we can just do that practice saying, okay, churn is here, but I'm not gonna do anything right now. I'm just gonna like be with this. And it starts to settle. And then it's like, oh, there it is, right? I can move, I can put my hand right there. 
So um, that is our practice. That is our practice is to be like, okay, uh, my hands are clenching, you know, my, my teeth are tight. I'm uh, worried. And uh, it kind of reminds me of what kept happening, you know, in fourth grade. Sometimes that shows up, sometimes it doesn't, but we show up for whatever is here. So I really encourage that as a daily practice. Um, and even with these last couple questions, like that's the experiment to say, okay, I, I think I'm gonna go lie down <laughs> or I'm gonna take a rest. I'm gonna go play catch with my child and this project isn't done. And I'm gonna, first I'm gonna sit down and do this practice and see what, what comes up about it. Right. If you just keep allowing your experience to be your experience and being there for it, that's when the the churn starts to soften and uh, quiet, and then there's there's a clearer space to to choose your next experiment. We're doing it with you. <laughs> Thank you. And also, as we were saying earlier, it's good to keep remembering a figure or a field that loves us no matter what. The exercise yesterday was really fruitful for me, I think for a lot of us. But one of the things I found was that, and I did, I sat down and I made a list of all of the energy extractions from any given day. And I discovered that an overwhelming number of them felt like energy that was extracted from me by like the modern capitalist structure that we are living in. So they felt like they were not freely given, things that I was not freely giving out, but also that they were hard to reclaim in terms of you know creating space around them. And then I was feeling, I mean, I can even feel like tears come around it. Like I start to feel like there's, you know, stolen creative process potential or practice potential or rest and time for rest and play. And I do create those, I, I create spaces for, for those things. And I don't often feel powerless, but I, I do in this, in, in this kind of recognition, I feel like I, I, a lot of confusion, like that, that's a lot of energy that I'm putting out that I am not, you know, it's not like phone scrolling where I do feel like I have more power around it or, or more, um, I, I can actually put maybe more creativity into something like that. And those things are there as well. But this other list of things that that just feels completely overshadowed, uh, overshadowing, you know, any given day feel, I feel a lot less, um, you know, like practice it feels less changeable. I know it will change, but it feels, it feels a lot less um, changeable than the other things. So just curious 
maybe I'll just say also that yesterday was 11 hours that felt like it was a day stretching into infinity. And so I do feel curiosity about where those two realities might converge and how I can, can, you know, be curious about bringing one reality into the other. But I'm also curious what you might say about those kind of outputs that we feel real, you know, a, a lack of power around. Thank you. This latter part, wait, uh, so 11 hours means that you, from when you, what was 11 hours? The day yesterday, the retreat. I mean, it's just 11 hours that that I was completely alone and didn't have any obligation or responsibility. So I think I felt this kind of freedom that I don't feel a lot of. And I, and I did feel very curious about, it, it was a stark difference between a, a full day that is that feels mostly extractive. So it's really, okay. it's really great to be able to compare the two and be curious yes, about them. Yes. But I don't want to overstate that like, oh, now I know what it's like to have a, a, a full day of practice. I can reclaim my power from, mm. the some, you know, I don't mm. want to overstate that. So I'm just mm. curious. Mm. What you mm. might say. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so uh, I think the helpful, uh, my cat is approaching, so I might get a meow. Um, the helpful territory of thinking includes acknowledging the larger context that we're operating in and what the ripples are of our actions, you know, who's benefiting and what they might be doing with it and so on. Um, and then we can also check if there's aspects of the thinking that are actually limiting us in some way or causing us pain. So, I mean, when you, I'm guessing, please tell me if I'm mistaken, but when you do whatever these things are that you're, that are on this list and that feel like they're in an, an extractive mm, action, um, but you're not doing them for the capitalist system, right? I mean, you're doing them to give food to your son, right? You're doing them to shelter your son. You're doing them to clothe yourself and give your food to your dog. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I think, I think where I get stuck is that I feel like my energy outputs are going towards survival because that's what we've created for ourselves instead of being able to go into these other, you know, parts of life that I wish we, it's not a society we live in. So it, it's that struggle between the two yeah. things. Yeah, thank you. yeah. And so that might be part of the reality and the emotion there's perhaps grief. I mean, there's the grief of what would be possible if we had a different way as a society to provide for everybody's needs and to also have more space for people to be well and to be creative and so on. Um, that is part of our reality and, and the grief has to be felt. It has to be felt. So it's both of these things. I think it's, well, it's acknowledging the system, you know, or the, the landscape, the landscape, 
I mean, it, it's sort of not that different than if, uh, if I grew up in a certain place and I didn't really have the means to move to a different place. And I grew up uh, in a farming family. That's, you know, what we do. That's our resource. And the farmland is becoming depleted. Um, so I have to be resourceful and find ways to provide in that situation. Um, but we don't, uh, we don't have to go into the story of bad other, even if the other is like a huge whole formless thing. We can just say, I, it's, you know, I would love to have more space and more rest and more play or more creativity or more potential for contributing in ways that I would like to. And I'm not able to because I need to spend most of my waking hours just for food and shelter and clothing. To feel the grief and to let that grief be felt and let the thoughts be had but not to identify with them. That's the thing. So our mind makes the story. We don't make ourselves bad for having our story, but we do recognize that it's limiting us and actually giving us more pain. And so we, we'd be willing to go to the grief that's looping into that story. It's the grief, right? They say vengeance is a lazy form of grief. Hmm? So uh, that's my, my invitation to explore that. Thank you.